Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, if you've been with us, you know that we are in a series called Walk This Way, Walk This Way. And it's, we're, it's, it's a series that focuses on the book of 1 Timothy. We've been walking through and today we're going to be jumping into 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up or in your app. We always display every scripture that I reference, but it's so good just to have in front of you. And if you've been with us, you know that 1 Timothy, it was a book that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it was a book that was written specifically to speak out against false teaching, false doctrine. One of the biggest challenges, I think, for all of us, you think that fake news was, is new for today? There's been fake news ever since the beginning, since the first, I think probably since the first human opened their mouth, right? There's this, uh, and Paul, he's combating this. He's, com- he's combating false teachers of the day, and he's giving specific instruction into how we are to walk with God and how we are to combat it that is infiltrating the search. And he's saying that we do that by walking and living a godly life, living a godly life. So let's read this together. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, focusing on verses 1 through 6. It says, first of all then, first of all, Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. What people? All people. And he says, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And Paul says, this is good. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all. There's that word, all. Don't you love God? God's like, everybody, okay? Everybody, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then verse 5, he's like, for there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for who? All. That's where your accent comes through if you have one. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. I love this section. I've heard people recite it. I've heard people memorize it so many times because Paul is very very clear. And he's clear and he's saying that the first thing that we need to do is pray. We got to pray, right? Just to make it. You know that song? You need to learn that song. It's a great song. But he's saying, first of all, you have to pray. Paul, he's placing this priority on prayer because everything begins with prayer. This is why Paul says, he says, I urge you. And that word urge, it means, one, to instruct. So he's saying, look, I'm instructing you. I'm teaching you. I'm showing you that, first of all, at the very beginning, you need to pray. But urge also means to beg. Paul is saying, what do I have to do to convince you to pray? He's saying, I'm begging you. Do I need to get on my knees and beg? You need to pray. And here's why. Acting without prayer is like acting alone. When we act, when we go out and just just try to do it on our own without praying, it's like we're acting alone. There's no way that we can do God's mission on our own, we need God's power, we need his authority, we need his strength, we need his transformative work in our lives 
And prayer is that vehicle through which God, he speaks to us. He strengthens us. Uh, Through prayer, God heals us. God, he corrects us. He aligns us with his mission, and he fills us with his power and authority. It's all through prayer. There is no way to have an accurate witness. We talked about witness in the previous uh, series about how we've been called to be his witness, where we lay it out, where we are representatives of who God is. We cannot do it without prayer. And I think a lot of people, if you've been around church for a while, you would say, well, of course, amen. Why are you telling me something that's, that's so obvious and the biggest duh out there? Yes, we need to pray. But if we're honest, we struggle with prayer. Why do we struggle with prayer? Now, I'm not talking about just five-minute conversation. I mean, we can have a five-minute conversation with everybody. I have five-minute conversations with baristas, with people at Fred Meyer, uh, with neighbors. Uh, I have five-minute conversations with a lot of people. But once you kind of get beyond that five minutes, it's a little tough, isn't it? Right? Because you're going, are we there? What's happening? It starts going a little deeper. See, prayer can be hard work. I mean, there's times when prayer is very refreshing. There's times when everything's just clicking. And there's times when it's like, oh my goodness, right? Just like, you know, I talked to somebody. I'm like, I'm so glad I had these five minutes with you today. This was so great, so empowering. But there are also times in prayer where we need to experience spiritual breakthrough. You know what I'm talking about? Are there any areas of your life that you need breakthrough? It doesn't always come up in five minutes. It doesn't always come up with your barista or your mechanic or your dentist, right? Got to see that guy this week. See, the path to breakthrough involves the hard work of breaking through. And a lot of times, that's why prayer can be so difficult because breakthrough is pretty tough, right? Breakthrough, Jesus gave us the analogy of the sower with this hard ground that needed to be broken, that needed to be tilled up. Have you ever tried to take a pickaxe to like hard ground? If you haven't, I have a great spot in my backyard for you that I've been working on and working on and working on, and I feel the effects of it. It's, you know, there were days it beat me down like a dog, right? It's just very, very difficult because breakthrough is tough, it's the pickaxe, and then you got to take a break, and you got to come back at it again, and you got to take a break, you got to come back because you've got to get through. See, this is what the Lord is calling us to. He's calling us to this breakthrough, and the day that we're in, the city that we're in, the climate that we're in, we are ministering in a very difficult ground. Just like Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, there is a very hard ground. I've been in spots where the ground has been fertile and where people have done that work for me. Have you ever gone to a place where someone's done all the work for you? It's like coming up to like this, this nice, you know, this nice raised bed garden and the earth is soft and you just use your hands and you, part it apart and you put the little seed and you water it and you're like, I don't know why people complain about gardening. This is so easy. It's easy because somebody worked very hard and they got the dirt ready and they built the box and they put all the manure and the stinky stuff in there that makes it go well. They did all that stuff and then when I came along, I was like, ah, oh. And then we hit the hard spots and we're like, what's wrong? It's like, well, no, this is, this is the work that we didn't see. This is the unseen stuff that now we need to see. Because during our prayer times, this kind of prayer that Paul is calling us to, this kind of prayer that Jesus is calling us to, for my prayer times to be effective, it means that I have to be vulnerable, right? I need to be willing to be corrected. See, my heavenly father, he loves me. 
But every time I talk to God, he's not just like, Dwayne, you are so wonderful. <laughs> right? He encourages me. He loves me. But the Holy Spirit comes in not to condemn me, but to correct me. I need to be willing to be corrected. I need to be willing to submit myself totally to God. In prayer, I'm trusting by faith that God hears me. When I go through the, the dark valley of the soul, the, the dark nights of the soul that C.S. Lewis talks about, I need to be willing to trust by faith that God hears me, that he, just because everything's not just ringing in my body right now, that God is with me, he is here, and by faith, I know he loves me. I'm confessing sin. And I'm living and inviting God to heal me, saying, God, here's my sin. Like Paul saying, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Anybody there? This is your vulnerable time, right? Right? I'm confessing sin. I'm inviting God. Please heal me. I'm wrestling with God about things I don't understand. Are there any things in your life you don't understand? Are there any people in your life you don't understand? (laughs) Those hurts, the habits, the hangups, the hurts I experienced from others. In prayer with God, I'm dealing with my fears. And then there's praying with other people. (laughs) We come together because the Bible is very clear that we need to come together. We need to pray together. And Paul talks about when we pray with each other, we need to lay aside ourselves and we need to think about other people in our life, right? And I need to invite other people to pray for me and I don't get to control what they say to me. I have to listen to other people pray. I need to be attentive to what's on their heart so I know how to pray for them. I have to be stretched in areas of patience with other people. And they have to be stretched in areas of patience with me. Does that make sense? That's prayer. That's what prayer is. See, at times prayer was so tough that even Jesus' own disciples, they couldn't make it for one hour. On one of the biggest nights in history, the documented, it's written out. I mean, there's been movies made about it. All of this, on one of the biggest nights in history, the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and crucified, and he even warned them about it. He said, stuff's going to happen. Here's all the things. They're like, no, Lord, that'll never happen to you. He said, no, it's going to happen. Let's go and let's pray. They couldn't even pray for an hour. They fell asleep. Can you believe they fell asleep? The answer is yes, I can, because I've fallen asleep. Have you ever, been, have you ever prayed at times and you just fell asleep? Some of my best naps have happened during prayer services growing up. See, prayer can be tough, but my word to you is don't give up. I've had people say, I'm so tired, and I'm like, hey, just be here. If you fall asleep, I hope it's the best nap that you've ever had, and I mean that sincerely because there's power in just being here. One time I even put a blanket over somebody and said, no, I'm just glad you're here. I'm going to pray over you as you sleep. We need to pray together. See, we need to work through whatever is in the way of us praying because Jesus was very clear that the secret to doing what he did, the secret to doing even greater things that he promised is through prayer and fasting. And it's tough. Everything's tough. Anything you try to learn, anything you try to do is tough. And I love how the pulpit commentary describes prayer and fasting. It says, the commentary says that prayer invokes the aid of God and puts oneself unreservedly, like no reservations, into the hands of God. What a great description of prayer. And then it says, fasting, the fasting that Jesus talked about, fasting subdues the flesh. How many need their flesh to be subdued? 
And fasting arouses the soul's energy. It brings into exercise the higher parts of our nature, those parts that God has given to us, and thus equipped us as a person is open to receive power from on high and can quell the assaults of the evil one. That's the power of fasting because I need to, I need to die to myself. I need to quell that flat. I need to just push, I need to, that, I need to deal with that so that I can receive everything that God has for me. See, I'm my biggest enemy. Enemy number one, Dwayne Smith. Because see, here's the big thing about prayer. The big thing about prayer is not getting what I want. It's getting who I want. Prayer is totally about getting who I want and who I want and who I need is God. I need God. See, when we're walking with God, the Bible is, is clear. I love what Isaiah said. Isaiah said what? No weapon formed against you shall prosper and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. And then he, Isaiah says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Wow. Isn't that awesome? This is incredible. No other religion, no other belief system promises or even offers this. Christianity stands alone with the promise that if you seek God, you will find him. And as I was talking about last week, you're only, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far off track you, you've gotten, it only takes one step to turn around and walk towards God, and God's there going, I've been waiting for you. Wow. That's amazing to me. No one else does that. Only God. See, at this point, even though it can be difficult, you may be thinking, yes, this is awesome. I'm in. How many of you are in? You're like, yes, I'm in with this. I want to pray. I want to, I want to be filled with the power. I want to take that step towards God. But then Paul, Paul moves through this very quick, right? Very, very quick. Paul calls something else out. And you got to understand because in this book, 1 Timothy, he's doing it by contrast. So when he brings something up, he's contrasting it with something that's happening with a false religion that has taken place. So he's bringing this up because he's not wasting words. He's not mincing words. He's saying, you need to hear this. He's calling something else so clear that there seems to be a concern that they're missing it. And Paul says this. Paul says that we are to pray for how many people? All people. And then he defines it again. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And you may say, Paul, I was with you until you got there. Because this is a tough word for them. Have you ever seen any movies about ancient Rome? Any gladiator movies? They entertained Caesar by killing Christians. This is a pretty tough, pretty tough place to live, right? At this time in the ancient world, rule was by Rome. Rome was not known for, for its great treatment of Christians, and they had, but Rome had no problem with you worshiping other gods. I mean, there were so many gods, so many religions, so many things going on in this. But the reason why they hated Christians so much is because Christians have one king, it's King Jesus. See, all the other religions, forms, rituals, it was all about just getting what you want, right? Even as we talked about the, the, the temple to Diana, Artemis, coming in, people went there for fertility, people went there for sexual pleasure, people went there for a lot of different things. It was about getting just whatever they, they wanted, but it didn't really necessarily filter over into all the areas of their life. 
But with Christianity, they have one king. And in Rome, there's only one king, and his name is Caesar. And they even deified him. So now comes these Christians. And Christians are saying, no, I have one king. It's King Jesus. And it caused problems. And that's why Paul, in the middle of this, he says, I don't want you to pray against them. He could have said, I want you to pray against all those high, corrupt leaders. You've been, yes, going to pray against that guy. But Paul is very clear here. And again, he's very clear. He says, I want you to pray for those people. See, it's easy to pray against people who hurt us. But Paul is saying that your heart needs to be so strong for God that you are praying for See, this is why Jesus, and now Paul is echoing it here, making it very clear that the evidence of our love for God is found in how we love all of our neighbors. Not just the neighbors that bring you cookies. Not just the neighbors that do, do good latte art on your pumpkin spice latte. But all, all of your neighbors, all your leaders, all the kings, all the rules. And here's why. Because unlike anything else, being a Christian is about dying to yourself and living for Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Have you studied the life of Jesus? Jesus, all power, all authority, I mean, had the power just to knock you down. He even told Peter that. He's like, I could call. He said, if I just wanted to destroy these people, I, I have access. <laughs> these can all be gone. But he kept going back to his disciples. He kept going back and saying no. See, we need to be careful because we're very good at playing dead. And if you play dead when you were a little kid, Right? Or someone walks in the room, you don't want to talk to them, you're like, I'm just going to, you've all, I've done it, sorry. See, we're very good at playing dead, pretending that we are dead to ourselves, when really, we have yet to fully let go and let God rule completely in our life. But Paul is saying the evidence that this is, he's calling out, this is the evidence. How do you treat those difficult neighbors? How do you treat, and in their day, kings and rulers that want to kill you and have the authority and are killing you. Paul's saying this is the evidence that you have died to yourself. See, Jesus died for us. Christians, like Jesus, we walk in the ways of Jesus and we need to die to ourselves. And this is the evidence. Why is this so? Why is, why is Paul so set on praying for everybody? Why is Paul so set on, on praying for kings and rulers who are not for us, but in fact are against us? Why is, it, why is he calling us to this? So here's why. And it's one word, and the word is reconciliation. As a body of Christ, if we get away from reconciliation, we've gotten away from the will of God. We've gotten away from the call of God. We've gotten away from our mission from God. Paul says, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come 
to the knowledge of the truth. See, we need reconciliation in so many areas of our life, don't we? But the number one relationship that needs to be reconciled first is a relationship with God, dying to ourselves for God. And here's why. Every healthy relationship that you have stems from this. Yeah, Jesus said, you know, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But he was very clear. This is the first one because there's no healthy. If this is not healthy, this is not happening here. You know. And as I was processing this, I'm like, well, I see people who aren't Christians. I see people that they're not serving God. And I see people that they seem to have very healthy relationships and they're very nice people. And here's the thing. The reason why they are is because in certain areas of our life, they're walking after God. They're employing those principles because, see, God's principles, God's rules, God's way of leading, it works for you whether you're a Christian or not. Right? I mean, the Ten Commandments, you put those in place, you're going to have a much better life than if you go against those. I mean, the way that God has called us out, it rains on the godly and the ungodly, the just and the just, that people who walk in, whether or not they even give credit, that's the grace of God. There are people walking in the grace of God. They're not serving the Lord, but they're walking in these ways kind of close as they can, and they're experiencing some of the benefits because they've been made in his image and they have it there. See, everyone benefits from that because that's part of the love of God. Everyone made in his image. You're going to get some things right, right? You throw a handful of rocks, you're going to hit something. <laughs> but as Christians, we need to recognize where it comes from because God's called us to so much more, so much more. We need to recognize where it comes from and give credit to God because God is the one who has reconciled us. See, this is the goal of every disciple of Jesus Christ. It is always to make disciples. And in fact, one of the ways that you know that you've made a disciple is because now they're making disciples. See, discipleship, it never ends because you love people. You, you lead them to the Lord, and as you're growing, you're leading them in others. That's why our mission statement here at Shoreline Community Church is what? Can we read this together? Becoming and making. Can we read it together? Becoming and making disciples of Jesus as we gather, grow, and go. Very intentional. We prayed over this. We worked through this. We talked about this for the Lord. And it's very intentional because it's about becoming and making. See, as we're becoming a disciple of Jesus, we're also making a disciple of Jesus. He did this with his disciples. Not a perfect group of men. But as they were being discipled, they were also doing that. Because as you know, as any parent will tell you, it's on-the-job training. When we adopted Riley, we were like, woohoo. But I tell you what, we had no clue what we were doing. We, we read a lot of books, we got a lot of advice. But I mean, when that baby shows up, right, you learn. You grow with the baby. You learn as you go, you grow. See, you're becoming a disciple and you're making, and it strengthens together that as I engaged in that, I became a much better dad. Became a much better dad as I grew in that. Because see, I'm a better disciple of Jesus when I'm discipling somebody else because now I'm applying it. I'm hearing their questions. They're asking tough questions that I maybe I never thought about before. And I've got to dig a little bit deeper and I've got to go. 
And the more that I dig in God's word, the stronger I get, the stronger I become, the more, the more healthy I become. So the more that I'm talking about Jesus to people, the more I'm inviting, the more I'm sharing Christ with people, the more I'm engaged in discipleship, the stronger I'm coming. And then I come in here. Because the more I'm doing that during the week, the more I run here. I'm going, I need to be around people that I know they love me, they're for me, and we're worshiping together. And we're going to strengthen one another. And I can talk to them about this and I can ask them about this. Lack of engagement here often reflects a lack of engagement out there. This is what happened in the early church in Acts. That the more that they were sharing, the more they were doing it, the more that they came together. So they just ended up coming together every day because the church was growing, the church was exploding, and they recognized that they needed each other. Because they were applying it. They were applying it. This is one of the things I love about Christianity. Christianity, and I quoted this from Tim Keller last week, that Tim Keller says, it is the most inclusive, exclusive message out there. It's inclusive in that it's for everybody. All are welcome. We pray for our kings, whether we agree with them or not, for them. But it's exclusive in that it is just one way. Because it's about reconciliation. It's pulling together. That's why one of the key parts of Christianity is Christianity, it is not a cancel culture. It's not. We don't just turn people off. We don't just say, get away. Christianity is not a cancel culture. Christianity is a reconciliation culture. We find healing in Jesus. Aren't you so glad that God didn't cancel you? Amen. Thank you, Val. God doesn't cancel you. He calls you to reconciliation. Reconciliation. One way. There's only one way. Right? It's like going to my doctor's, right? He's like, Dwayne, you're pre-diabetic, so you got to stop doing sugar. I'm like, okay, I'll eat the healthy stuff, but can I still have the sugar? No. What if I ate more of this? Can I still have the sugar? No. There's... Because he cares about me. So now i got to cut sugar. Pray for me. God looks at us and he says, I'm, I'm not canceling you. I'm calling you to reconciliation. And one of the evidences of the truth of God in our life is that we pray for those that are opposed to us. We pray for those. As Jesus looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. Because we are a reconciliation culture. I love, Jesus said this perfectly, as he does, in Matthew 5, 46. He said, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But Jesus said, you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. See, Jesus, he didn't cancel people. He loved them. He reached out to them. He went where they were. He called them in. He's, he, he walked through the marketplace. He, he said, I'm going to your house today, and I want you to bring all your friends because I want to talk to them, and I want to meet them. That's Jesus. I mean, look at how diverse his disciples were, right? His disciples. First of all, there was Simon the Zealot. He was part of a faction determined to overthrow Roman rule by force. That's not Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector who worked for the Roman government and betrayed his people in their eyes. Thomas didn't believe it unless he could touch it. And even then, he's like, I'm not sure. Judas, the treasurer, 
ultimately betray Jesus. James and John, they had a stage mom who sought to promote her sons to positions of power. Go mom. Peter was impulsive, jumped in front, acting first, thinking later, and then Jesus would come along and fix stuff. He would be like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, he was believed to have come from royal blood as a scholar. And then there was Jude, also known as Thaddeus. He was an intense nationalist with a dream of world power. Like, Jesus, did you do the background checks on these people? And it didn't stop there. Jesus also advocated for women, I mean, in a highly patriarchal society that was dominated by men. In Luke 10, listen to this. Jesus tells Martha to leave the kitchen and to join Mary, who was sitting with the disciples, learning from Jesus, and because he said Mary has done what is better. Okay, Martha's in the kitchen. She's doing all the work. She's making all the food. She's washing all the dishes. She's doing all that stuff, right? And she's bitter at, at, at Mary, going, Mary, you should be in here helping me. I'm in here. I'm, I'm doing the real work. And, and Jesus says, no. You need to be out here learning like a disciple. He invites her over. Jesus, he protected the woman who was caught in adultery, and he called out the men for their sin. Jesus intentionally went through Samaria at midday and ministered to the Samaritan woman who thought she was going there all alone. No good rabbi would have done this. But Jesus did. This is the reconciliation work of God. And what Paul is saying, he's saying it very clearly. He's saying, if we are a follower of Jesus, then we will be a people of prayer. And Because when you pray for people, God changes your heart. And you will turn into a person of reconciliation. See, reconciliation is for everyone, but it's tough. Reconciliation is very tough. But he's saying, I want you to be reconciled. This includes the leaders, enemies, people who love us, people who hate us. See, you can only make a disciple of somebody that you're for. You can't make a disciple of somebody that you're against. Right? You can't even teach somebody. I hear students all the time growing up that the teachers that they knew they were for them, they learned. They're like, I love that class. Teachers that they thought were against them, they're like, I hate that class. (laughs) Right? whether it was real or just a perception, when you have that sense of, man, they're for me, which doesn't mean I agree with you, but I'm for you, and I'm cheering for you. This is reconciliation. This is how we do discipleship. This is why everything that I do, everything that I did through COVID, everything that I try to do for my whole life is put towards this one aim of making disciples. Because we've missed it. And I'm not perfect. I've missed it. But my aim has been to point that way. And if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail forward trying to make a disciple. I'm going to fail forward trying to be a missionary because we are all missionaries. We all have a mission. And Seattle is one of the top areas in the country that needs missionaries so desperately. So desperately. But that means we run even though we fail. See, Jesus' disciples, he called together this ragtag group. They would go out, they would fail. But what did he do? He said, all right, come together. I made some fish because this is going to be a long conversation right now. And he teach them. He trained them. I'm for you. Even when Peter laughed and he went off to back to fishing doing all that, Jesus went to him and said, Peter, 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 look. He blessed him, gave him the biggest catch of his life, said, look, if, if the fisherman, yes, I can, you know, I'm in control of the fish market, Peter. But I want you to be a discipler. I'm going to build a church on you, Peter. 
I'm going to transform you, Peter. I'm going to do a work in your life. See, walking this way means that we walk in this relationship with others, people who agree, people who disagree, people who are undecided, people who are figuring out all along the way. But I wanted to put one caveat in here because this doesn't mean that it's relationship at all cost. See, we lead relationally, but we need to be careful. And I referenced this as I talked about the third culture that's happening today in the previous series. It's not relationship at all cost. See, forgiveness takes one person. Jesus looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can forgive people who haven't forgiven me. It's hard. It's better when they come back and, you know, work this out and you go, oh, no, no, let's be friends again. But we can forgive people who are our enemies, people who don't come back, people who decide of heaven. You may never work it out. But we can do that hard work of forgiving them. Reconciliation, it takes two, baby. It takes two people. One, two, two. See, we've misinterpreted, I believe, a lot of times Jesus' desire for relationship. He offers relationship to everyone, but it takes both people willing to die for reconciliation. Jesus died. He's very clear that we need to be born again. We need to die to ourselves so that we can. Love God first, love others second. You get that out of order, and you've lost. See, when our love for God gets out of order, our relationship with others will now supersede and diminish our love for God. Our theology gets whack, our habits get whack, everything gets whack, whack. It's gone. It's God first. The only hope that I have of being the husband that God's called me to be is as I love God first. The only hope she has of being a good wife is that she loves God first. Good pastor, good dad, whatever. It's as I die to myself, Christ lives in me. Because see, when we don't do that, the result is will be instead of us influencing others with the love of God, we ourselves will be influenced and have our faith compromised, leaving. And scripture is very clear on this. It's repeated throughout Scripture. Second Peter says, be on guard then. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. And even here in Ephesus, Paul was having to address the people again who were led astray. In 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul says, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Don't let go of it. I mean, cling to your faith. Don't let go of that. And he says, keep your, your conscience clear. He said, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. That boat won't sail. There were even occasions where Jesus said, shake the dust from your feet. In other words, he said, I wash my hands of it. There are times with people that we've done everything we can do. There are times that we've done everything that God has to do. Now, that's the breakthrough in prayer, right? We're praying, we're talking, God, have I done everything? Have I died to myself? Is there any selfish motive? Is there all those things? And in those situations when we've done all we've known, we've shared the love of Christ and they've openly re rejected it. You got to shake the dust from your feet. There's times that it even said that I released them to Satan in hopes that they would return. 
Do you get what I'm saying? Because we're in a culture that's going to try to make you feel bad about yourself, or you're wrong, or you're the bad person, or you're doing this, and you're the hater, you're this and you're that. And Jesus is saying, be very clear, cling to your faith, get around people of faith that know the word of God and that they love you, and they're walking out with you, and they're going through, we ask the questions, have you done everything? What's the Lord asking you to do? And now, there's one, one more thing I haven't done that Jesus has asked me to do that's hard. Well, let, let me pray for you to go do that. I mean, that's the process of the body of Christ. See, the more you're committed to reconciliation, the more that you'll be committed to the things that ground you in the faith because reconciliation is tough. Praying, right? Paul said, first of all, pray. The Bible reading, the gathering together, the regularly worshiping. Again, the more I'm out there, the more I'm going to be here. It's both. Because I need you. I need all of you. Whether we're, pimpkin, whether we're picking pumpkins or having lattes together or singing and whatever we're doing. I need you. Because parts of the body don't survive when they're separated from the... I'm not even a doctor, and I know that. You separate any part, right? It's gone. You will not survive separated from the body of Christ. Someone I love very dearly says, well, Duane, I worship God my own way, and my heart aches inside. So I'm like, no. You die to yourself. And see, this is a powerful truth that we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to these things. We need to be reminded of these things. We need to go in all these things because Paul, there's a promise in here. Paul says all this important, he says, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Doesn't that sound lovely? All of this, that hard work, breaking the ground and dying to yourself and all that, he's saying, all of this is essential so that you may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. This all, this all points to a godly life, right? Devoted to prayer, to transforming conversations with God, breaking the ground, doing that, 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 that prayer of, there's times that only, you know, it's, there, there's times I just do a five-minute prayer. I'm, just, I'm so tired. There's things going on, whatever. The things are happening. But I need to have those extended times of just prayer, praying with you, having you pray for me, all those things. He's saying we need to devote to prayer, and he's saying we need to, to be committed to walking in reconciliation with God personally. And with others, and he's saying, when you do that, when you do that, it's marked by a life of peace. See, lives that were peaceful, quiet, and dignified were not the norm of that day. Again, Paul's saying something that's contradictory. Paul was in a culture where they prided themselves in their argument. They prided themselves in the debate. Paul was an expert in what was known in the ancient world as diatribe, right? This is arguing back and forth. And there's nothing wrong. We need to reason together. We need to use logic. We need to allow the voice of the Lord to speak to us. But I've seen people in debates intentionally take the wrong side, debate it, and win because they were better than me at arguing. <laughs> right? This is debate clubs. We have two sides. You take this side, you take this side. And it's not about finding the right way. It's about learning. And I get lawyers do this, you know. This is what Paul was in training for, to be part of Sanhedrin. as part of this whole aspect. But Paul's saying, look, this is not what it's about. See, there's a difference in debating to win and reasoning and saying, God, reveal your truth to me. Reveal your truth to us. See, Paul warned about this in 2 Timothy. He said, I, I say again, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments 
that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, gently, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change their minds. Wow, what a great thought. (laughs) Maybe God will do something. Maybe God will soften their heart. I mean, who are you praying for right now? God, soften their heart so that they will learn the truth. In 26, he says, then they will come to their senses and they will escape from the devil's trap for they've been held captive by him and they do whatever he wants. Paul's saying, look, it's not all this godless fighting. See, peace is not a sign that I'm a wimp. Have you ever been called a coward and you're like, no, actually, I'm, I'm showing a lot of restraint right now. <laughs> I'm having to work hard to restrain. See, Paul is laying out this godly life marked by peace, and this is tough. But do you know who the Prince of Peace is? Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the beginning of the Servant on the Mount. For they shall be called children of God. See, we're in a world that wants to fight you. Paul was in a world that wants to fight you and just do all that. And again, I'm not saying never disagree. Jesus disagreed. Jesus turned tables. I mean, there's time, but not everything, right? Sometimes when you're a hammer, every problem's a nail, and you just go around and start whacking things. God, God help us. See, those were just moments. What Jesus did, he went to people, laid out the truth, some came in and some left, and he didn't chase them, but he was ready for when they returned. Because peace marks the way. Peace takes restraint. Peace says that God fights my battles. I'm just called to walk according to his ways. I'm called to be filled with his spirit. I'm called to be changed myself to where God's doing breakthrough in my life. I sensed a breakthrough during worship this morning that I mentioned earlier. During our worship time, just the spiritual breakthrough, we're singing together. This is the breakthrough, but he's saying, first, I urge you, I beg you, pray. That hard prayer where you're laying it out, where you're praying with others for others. Having that heart of reconciliation. And as you stand together this morning, we're just going to spend a few moments here. Who's someone that you're praying for in your life for reconciliation? As we all stand today, I want to invite you to lift your hands in prayer for them. And maybe your first step in reconciliation may be that act of, God, I need to, I, I need to forgive them first. Or I need to ask forgiveness. Because here's, here's, here's a measure of that. A measure of how you're walking in that way is how would you describe your level of peace today? Are you full? (laughs) If you're full, praise God. If you're full of peace, you're like a unicorn. (laughs) Are you full or empty? Is Is your peace growing or is it vanishing? Where do you need help in that? Prayer, reconciliation, ask forgiveness, and allow the Lord to move in your life. We're, we're going to spend a few moments here. A few moments here just seeking the Lord. 
The prayer team's gonna come forward. We have people to come and pray with you. These are people who love you. They've been praying for you. Man, go to them. Take a bold step and pray with somebody who loves you. (laughs) Come forward. Pray with them. Maybe you need to go to a prayer wall and go, I need to write this out. You don't need to sign it. Sometimes it's good just to write it out. Or maybe someone's with you that you're going, yeah. Pray for me. Help me in this. I want to live that peaceful, godly, dignified life in every way. But it begins with prayer that transforms us to reconciliation. Amen. Do your work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. We don't want anyone else. We don't want anything else. We need you. We need you, but Lord, we recognize that your power is alive in us as we walk in obedience to your ways. Hearing you, listening to you, walking, saying, yes, Lord. So give me Jesus, totally surrender. I invite you in this moment just to say, Lord, I just, I give it all to you. Just rededicate your life to him. God, we're good at playing dead. So Lord, help us to truly die to you as we walk, as we pray, as we forgive others, as we pray for others. We pray for our leaders. Amen. You just pray for your leaders, maybe your boss at work, maybe your teacher at school, our governors, our mayors, everybody. Lord, we pray for the blessing of God in their life. God, we pray for those that surround them. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart, that they would experience you wherever they are. Wherever they are, God. And Lord, I pray that you, for those that are in, around them in close relationship with you, Lord, fully devoted followers of Christ who are our leaders, God, may you help them as they reach out to their leaders in every area, in our schools, in our government, in the workplace, everywhere, God, that we would walk peaceful and godly lives through prayer and reconciliation. We pray in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Let me encourage you to take this with you. This is a lifelong, and that whole idea of rededicating your life to God, every day I get up, every morning, I get up, I get my coffee, I get my dog, I get my Bible, not always in that order, and I sit down and say, God, I'm rededicating to you today. Because <laughs> we need it, right? Now, you may be a cat person, that's okay too. Or goldfish person. Whatever it is, God, I dedicate it to you. Amen. This is our benediction. Let's say this before we leave today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.